Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind. With a bowl full of chips. USA, USA, USA. That's right, college football fans. Today, Bip and I are going back down south of the Mason-Dixon line and along the Atlantic Coast region, where this week we get into the second oldest of the current group of five conferences, Conference USA, stretching from the Queensland in Virginia to sunny and steamy Florida to the barren lands of West Texas and up to the Appalachian Mountains of West Virginia. And while there are questions abound through every conference and for every team, there shouldn't be a question about which college football podcast you need to subscribe to. And that's us. We are a bowl full of chips. I am Choo Choo Chappie getting this train a chugging. And I am joined by the freight car of this locomotive, Bippity Boppity Boo. Bip, how was Indiana this weekend? Indiana was good. We uh, got a chance to see some family. Um, went to a, a wedding to see said family. Um, I got a chance to see a little bit of the spring games that took place. Not as much as I wanted to, but right. uh, still got to see football nonetheless. So it was fantastic. Uh, how about you, my friend? Uh, it was good. It was good. I, I myself tuned into the the amount of spring fall, football that I could. We uh, we also had family birthday this weekend. Well, you had a wedding, but we had a family <laughs> birthday celebration that was nice for my uh, my brother on the other side and uh, his wife. So we did that and got a little work done around the house, a little spring cleaning done. Got my taxes all finished, like I talked about a week ago, and got my final teacher evaluation done. So all that administrative paperwork, lovely stuff is done out of the way, and we can get back to the good stuff. Very good. Very good. Well, we hope all of you are doing great out there, getting the things done that you need to get done. And one of the best things that you can do is what you're doing right now, and that's listening to us. So if you enjoy this show, if you enjoy getting your bi-weekly dose of bipartisan college football knowledge, help us out. When you're done listening, hit that share button and text, tweet, or email our link to those that love college football, even just a little. Please also interact with us on Twitter or email. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC BIP. And you can also send emails to bowlfullofchips at gmail.com. So here on A Bowl Full of Chips, we love college football, we love to laugh, and we love the USA. That's right. The land of the free, the land of democracy. We've got a good economy. It's basically, I mean, we didn't really have a choice. We were both born here. But like Mr. Springsteen said in our intro, you know, being born in the USA is a pretty darn good thing. And, and as a social studies teacher by day, you know, taking a, a step back and looking at some of the geopolitical messes that are, are going on around the world and some of the situations where people are deadlocked in war-torn countries or poverty-stricken countries or countries where um, the government or the, the natural resources and Mother Nature are not too kind to them. You got to kind of look around you and say, we, we have it pretty good here, Bip. Yeah. And, you know, like you mentioned, land of the free, home of the brave, and the only country where we refer to football as football and soccer as soccer, as it should be. Right. And, Chappie, I, I don't know about you, but 
no matter what sporting event I attend, I, I always get shivers at some point when the national anthem plays and I see that flag fly, flag flying. Um, yep. So I always get that sense of patri- patriotism then. Um, but, uh, you know, one other thing that's that's always nice is we seem to be on the cusp of, you know, pop culture. Um, so we don't uh, have a situation to where it seems like a lot of the Eastern European countries or something to where they're just now getting 80s music over there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, their favorite show is Perfect Strangers. And <laughs> uh, know, what a world. <laughs> any of the like, yeah, I know you and I could could fit in just just fine over there. But um, <laughs> always yep. nice that to, to have that little side caveat that, um, you know, we're, we're not falling behind, uh, you know, outside of the other many advantages that uh, come with living in, in uh, the USA. That's right. Blair and David Hasselhoff watching uh, Perfect Strangers as if it was new, wearing our members-only jacket. Um, <laughs> we could pull off Hall & Oates, although I could probably do a better job of growing the mustache than the curly mullet. So um, <laughs> I'll let you take whatever one you want. <laughs> I'm not sure I could do either, so I'll uh, I'll just uh, you know leave it at that. Sure. Okay. Well, thanks once again. Uh, as always, to those who serve and protect as well, we, we gave a shout out a couple podcasts ago, but um, as, as two brothers who are close to somebody who uh, is a member of the police force and member of the fire department and, and first responders, but also members of our beloved military, um, it is important to, to make sure that those brave men and women and those strong men and women get their kudos because they are much deserved. And remember to do your part for democracy don't complain. Try and change the rain. I mean, when it uh, when it comes to you having a chance to do something, you know, it, I always subscribe to the theory of put up or shut up. You know, I mean, there's there's too many platforms for people to complain and, and wax political. And, and that's why we try and stay away from it here. But um, we do fully encourage that uh, people who are blessed with living in this country and living in a democracy where they have a chance to try and bring about change to certainly do so. Absolutely. Well, let's get to uh, the fun stuff now here, Bipster, and let's get to our news and notes from around the country within the last week. And we kind of touched on some of the spring games this weekend. We're not going to go too deep into it because that's going to be a part of future podcasts coming up when we uh, get into what we've been longing to do really for the last uh, 27 episodes, and that is taking a look at 2019 and um, you know putting 2018 behind us. So uh, I know that your your Irish had their spring game this weekend. Alabama had theirs. Ohio State, a lot of Big Ten teams, really a lot of the Power Five conferences right. uh, had had their chances to showcase what they had. Um, and it looked like defense, you know, as always seems to be the case in spring ball, because the offense is is maybe breaking in new players. Sometimes they're breaking in new schemes, and it always seems to be a little bit easier. Uh, maybe on the defensive side of the ball this early on, but our off- offenses rear their head in in the fall when it really counts. Right. Yeah. And also you, you saw this at several spring games that uh, if a defender came within about five yards of the quarterback, a sack was called. So that always helps the defenses out. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I get why they do that. And right, right. Uh, it's it, it makes perfect sense. But as a former quarterback, you, you kind of cringe when yeah, you've got a defender that's uh, seven yards away from you and the coaches blow the whistle and you're like, coach, you can yeah. at least wait till he's about two. He knows he's not going to bring me down because he knows he's going to get the wrath of God. Um, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little shoulder pop. Um, and honestly, that does those quarterbacks good. And I always felt so jazzed up when I got um, knocked to the turf and you get those grass stains on. You. You're like, all right, let's get up. Let's play ball. Let's do it again. Mm hmm. 
Well, uh, moving on to uh, something a little bit more heated, and that's the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry. And, Bip, this is kind of getting entertaining. And well before the November rivalry on Thanksgiving weekend, um, for those who don't know, Greg Madison and Al Washington left the University of Michigan and went over to the school in Columbus and are now a part of the staff for Buckeyes, for the Buckeyes. And um, the Michigan Wolverines are not taking it well. Jim Harbaugh came out and said, you know, kind of uh, in a half serious tone that they're certainly not going to be getting or sending uh, Christmas cards this year. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, a, a sophomore defensive end for the Wolverines, called it betrayal. Chris Partridge, an assistant coach, uh, says, quote, I've got blood in my mouth. So, I mean, and the, this is not kind of friendly banter. This is, um, you know, really a lot of scorn, more on the side of of Michigan. And you got to wonder, Bip, is it because of the rivalry or is it because of the recent uh, downward trend where U of M has not beaten Ohio State, I think, in the last seven or eight games? And I know they've lost 10 of the last 11 or so. Um, the numbers are not good. So do you think it's more of that history and just that that bad taste year after year? Or do you think it's more so just because it's a rivalry, even if they had gone back and forth the last couple of years, this would still be the the vitriol that's being spit out? I, I think it's probably both because oh, how they political have, of you. <laughs> they, have, they have those, those that the terrible taste in their mouth from the last few years, uh, especially, but um, if, if they, if anyone turns on sports radio in the area um, of Ann Arbor, you hear nothing but Jim Harbaugh can't beat his rivals. You hear about how embarrassed they were this past year um, about losing to Ohio state, but you know, it's never it's never easy when you when you lose a couple of your well respected and well liked uh, coaches, but when they go to your your fiercest rival and your your biggest competition within the conference, that never sits well either. So I think they they definitely play amongst uh, you know they play off of each other for sure. I would think if I had to lean towards one more so than the other, I think the fact that uh, they, they left to Ohio state is more so um, the cause of that than anything. Sure. And I would agree with that, that part of the statement. Um, You know, I I think that rivalry is just so deep. Um, Obviously anytime that you are, are losing to your rival uh, more than, more than uh, a time or two or, or more than trading off victories, it's, it's going to sting obviously that much more, but um, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like losing to, to the other guy, you know? So yeah, for sure. A um, couple other news and notes before we get into some transfer portal talk. Um, Oklahoma's Nick Basquin has been granted a sixth year of eligibility, which is really going to make that receiving core even more dynamic and more dangerous. Basquin, a 5'11", 195 pound uh, zipper on the, on the plays in the slot. He only played in parts of five games last year, but had seven catches for an average of 19.1 yards per reception. No touchdowns, but um, you know certainly has big playability when the ball is thrown his way. Um, as a sophomore, he caught 20 passes for an average of 13.3 with two touchdowns in eight games. Um, other news and notes, Maryland safety Antoine Richardson was sidelined with an ACL tear, likely out for the year. He was looking to be a starter for the Terps this year in the secondary. Kind of was their fifth defensive back last year, but had some good numbers, 41 tackles and interception and two passes defended. Um, but uh, that really touches up our news and notes. Did you have anything else, Bip, or any any comments on those uh, those tidbits? 
Nope. Uh, only thing I would say is that uh, nice that uh, Basquin got granted that sixth year of, of eligibility, but he'll really be pushed by that uh, group of incoming freshmen as Oklahoma got three five-star receivers that'll be coming in looking yep. to uh, not only compete, but potentially take his job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hazelwood, Weiss, um, and uh, Bridges, those are going to be three youngsters that are, are are looking to really be maybe numbers two, three, and four on right. that uh, and that group behind CeeDee Lamb, of course. So let's uh, before we get into our Conference USA review tonight, let's touch on the the recent transfer portal news, and we're going to get into this because there's been some uh, pretty big movement. Uh, Bip, you want to start us off with a couple of the ones that caught your eye? Yeah, um, first uh, Oluwale Bitiku, uh, five star transfer from USC to Illinois, only played in two games as a sophomore. Big game or big name, little production for uh, the Illini. So we'll see whether a new a change of scenery is is what he needed, or if Illinois will see much of the same of what uh, USC got out of him. Another one, Eric Kuma um, transfers um, along with uh, teammate Chris Cunningham from Virginia Tech to Old Dominion, and kind of a head head scratcher to me for. Um, Kuma as Virginia Tech seems like a much better spot. Um, yeah. You know, when you consider the that he already had good production with the Hokies. However, when taking a deeper look at that, Old Dominion was actually 15th in the country in passing yards per game. So maybe he sees a, a wide open offense and maybe just needed uh, to, to get out of um, uh, Virginia Tech for for whatever personal reasons he he may have had. And I could see if uh, their quarterback, Old Dominion's quarterback, Blake LaRusso, was still there, but he decided to enter the seminary, and he was one yeah. of the top passers in Conference USA. Only a junior had a, a had eligibility coming back this year, but decided to take his um, his talents to to God, and so you know, God bless him for that. But um, mm-hmm. you know, I I'm kind of scratching my head at, at that move as well, especially I mean, when these two play in Week Two, you know, the Hokies are going to have revenge uh very deep in their gullet and um you know odu better be ready for that one because going into lane stadium in week two uh that's a dangerous spot right after the Hokies have had a a, a tune-up in week one right other ones just real quick uh defensive lineman israel antoine goes from colorado to oklahoma state Justin Bickham, a cornerback from Rice, is a grad transfer heading over to Iowa State. So he's going to add some experience to a young group of corners and an aggressive Jim Haycock defense over there in Ames. Um, Taven Richardson, a wide receiver, goes from Kentucky to Marshall. Now, Richardson had at least seven catches in the last three seasons, but being in an offense that tr- that predominantly liked to run the ball, they were a pro-style offense, he should be more productive. So keep an eye out for him. I think he should have a, a productive year at Marshall this year and a guy that maybe at 6'3", 207 pounds, is somebody that you're going to hear on NFL draft boards maybe toward the end of next year and as we get into next April. Um, so that does it for us on, on Transfer Portal News. Um, so let's go right into the theme of today's podcast, and that is our 2018 Conference USA review. So let's talk football and dive into the questions that we see as the needing and most definitive answers um, on what happened with Conference USA this year. Who are the surprises? Who are the disappointments? And Bip, let's start with a rundown of Conference USA football standings. So starting with the East, the East Division champs were the Middle Tennessee Raiders, who finished 8-6 and six overall, but 7-1 and one in conference. Second place behind them were Marshall and FIU, both with nine and four and six and two records, um, nine and four overall, six and two in the league. Charlotte came in at fourth at five and seven, but four and four in Conference USA. FAU was five and seven overall, but three and five in Conference. Old Dominion, who we just talked about, was four and eight. 
but two and six in Conference USA. And at three and nine in the bottom of the East Division was the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers with a two and six conference mark. So over to the West, Biff, what happened over there? In the West, Chappie, we had U- the UAB Blazers taking the West and also uh, Conference USA with a seven and one conference record, eleven to three overall. Of course, they ended up ended up beating uh, Middle Tennessee in the Conference USA championship game a week after losing to them. And by um, the way, I saw that that was only the third time in modern history that two FCS teams or FBS teams have played back to back weeks um, during the season. So they played in the regular season finale, and it so turned out that they were the division champs and ended up playing on the conference championship a week later. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, following them, uh, North Texas finished five and three in the conference, nine and four overall. Louisiana Tech also five and three in the conference, eight and five overall. Southern Miss again, five and three in the conference, six and five overall. And rounding out uh, the West, UTSA finishing two and six in the conference, three and nine overall. Uh, UTEP finishing one and seven in the conference, one and eleven overall, and the Rice Owls finishing one and seven in the conference, two and eleven overall. So that's our standings. That's how it played out. So more of a deeper dive into Conference USA. Let's get into our surprises and disappointments. And Bip, I'm going to start off with our my surprise on sure. uh, the conference. And I'm going to go with a team that did not make a bowl and only won five games. But uh, compared to what they were expected to do in the preseason, this was a pretty uh, a pretty admirable showing from this group. And that's the Charlotte 49ers. Um, now, they were 1-11 in 2017. They were picked last by most publications, including uh, their own coaches and the Conference USA Media, but also Phil Steele's magazine, Athlon, uh, Pick Six, and yours truly. So some of the more reputable uh, media outlets looked at these this team and this program as really having no shot in Conference USA. But in 2018, they finished five and seven, which was good for fourth in the East, like we mentioned. Um, they were three and one in close games, which means that this was a group that that showed that they could play well and united as a team. Um, and aside from their games against App State and UAB, in which uh, they lost by double digits, they had five losses um, by by close margins there. So it wasn't like this was a team that got blown out in a lot of their seven losses. Right. Um, they had four first-team All-Conference USA players. Uh, they had a pretty good rush defense, ninth in the country, which uh, when I look back at the numbers, I had to do a double take, and I thought, really, Charlotte? They were that good of a defense, but uh, collectively they they put up some uh, some stout defense. Um, they did only beat one team with a winning record, but again, sometimes those numbers can get skewed, and, and you, you've got to play the hand that you're dealt. And so, uh, I mean, winning five games, they were one game off from a uh, a bowl Appearance. Their best win came against Southern Miss, which was a pretty good CUSA team. They beat them twenty to seventeen at home. Um, they also beat uh, athletically a good team in FAU. They weren't uh, that good of a, uh, a collective group this year, but they beat the Owls twenty-seven twenty-four in Boca Raton in the season finale, which is a pretty big win. So, first-year defensive coordinator Glenn Shepard really helped turn this group around. And unfortunately for the 49ers, they only kept him for one year. He went over to FAU and will be calling the defense for the Owls this year. But I'm going to give my surprise team to Charlotte this year. 
Chappy, great minds think alike. I also had Charlotte as my surprise team as well. And you touched upon a lot of the speaking points that I wanted to say, but um uh, you know, like, you, <laughs> like you like you mentioned, they're coming off a one and eleven season. Uh but in taking a deeper dive into that one eleven season, they um they lost to an FCS opponent and their lone win was by one point. Um, they also were shut out in games against Georgia state and old dominion. That lone win was an overtime win against UAB, which you look at it and you say, well, that's a, a quality win for them in 2017. However, that was in overtime and, um, UAB had scored in the first series. So, um, Charlotte then scored to to answer them and went for two uh, instead of kicking the extra point. Now, this is at a point to where UAB was four and three going into the game. Charlotte was 0-7. So it seems like that was more of a what do we have to lose uh, call. Right. And you have to figure that if that were the first or second game of the season, maybe things play out a little different. So the fact that they go from 1-11 to five wins where they could have been easily winless in 2017, I think that was an outstanding job. Yeah. They also uh, scored 90 more points in uh, 2018 compared to 2017. But like you mentioned, where they really shined was on the defensive side of the ball. Um, 25th overall in yards per game allowed. They were second in uh, the first uh, fewest first downs allowed in the uh, country, wow. uh, not just in the conference. And they held uh, Tennessee to only 14 points. Now, I know Tennessee was Tennessee, but still impressive for a Conference USA team uh, like Charlotte to hold a team full of athletes like Tennessee at only 14, as you see that uh, that's usually a game to where, um, you know, SEC teams like like Tennessee can come in and really get their confidence back up um, and uh, dominate in those games. So um, lost games against uh, Florida International and Middle Tennessee by only seven and eight, respectively. Um, so they were a, a couple of game, a couple of scores away from potentially having seven wins. Um, so um, defensively, they had a couple guys that that really shined for them. Um, Alex Highsmith uh, mm-hmm. kind of made a living in opponents' backfields this year as he finished with sixty tackles, eighteen and a half of those being for loss. Also had three sacks and two forced fumbles. And Jawan Foggy or Foggy, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, led the team with six interceptions as a linebacker. Yeah, returned two of them for touchdowns. And the 49ers won all four games in which he had a pick. So. Um, Going from one to five wins was really impressive. I was really surprised when they fired head coach Brad Lambert, as I thought, if you're going to fire him, why not do it after a one and 11 season, or at least see what he's going to do in 2019. If he doesn't build upon the five win season, cut the court at that point, but kind of a head scratcher for me. So Charlotte gets my surprise team of the year uh, as well, Chappie. Yep. And, and I, I had the same thoughts about Lambert. I mean, uh, you could at least maybe say, okay, um, we're going to give you up to the six game mark. If you're not four and two by then, we've got our interim in place and we're going to start a search for, you know, 2020. But, um, you know, all the best to uh, Coach Healy and, and, and the new staff that's come in over at Charlotte and uh, see what they can do in 2019. Sure. So since I stole your thunder on the surprise, I have a feeling you're going to steal my thunder on the disappointment bit. So why don't you start <laughs> off with this one? And you kind of mentioned it already, uh, a, a superior athletic team um, that did not uh, turn that athleticism and that talent into uh, results this year. And that's the Florida Atlantic Owls. Uh, they go from being one of the best teams in um, Conference USA and going into the season, I thought they would have been one of those um, group of five busters potentially, but right. finished five and seven, only three and five in the conference, which is even more uh, shocking to me than their five and seven overall record as they had a 
decent non-conference schedule um, and taking into account the lack of strength within Conference USA. Um, offensively, they finished actually 14th in the country in yards per game, 13th in rushing yards per game. Uh, but defensively, they finished 94th and 84th in points per, points per game allowed, yards per game allowed, respectively. Um, when when looking at uh, 2017, they won their last 10 games of the season, including their bowl game. So they come in riding a lot of momentum. They also return most players on offense and defense, most notably running back Devin Singletary. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, their five wins this year came against teams with a combined 28 and 34 record. One of those teams was a non-FBS opponent, Bethune-Cookman, who was 7-5. and five. So even more uh, kind of embarrassing of, of what the strength of their wins were this year. Um, the, it didn't, uh, help, um, having a defense so poor, but their offense just given the fact that they could put up yards at uh, such a high rate, they, they really struggled in, uh, turning that, that yardage into points per game. And it really showed in their, their, uh, year end record. So curious to see how the owls build upon this for, uh, 2019 and what Lane Kiffin and, and coaching staff have up their sleeves, but was an easy, uh, easy uh biggest disappointment for me chappy i assume you went the same way you assume right my friend you were okay. you were not made an ass nor am i so um <laughs> yeah they uh, i mean there were like you said there were some people who were calling them to be maybe the group of five buster this year um many people were looking at them as being what utah state ended up being um and, you know, there was there was a lot of high hope. There was a lot of momentum like you talked about. But, you know, looking at this five and seven record, it wasn't as dirty a five and seven as as you might think. They had three losses that were by three points or less. So that I mean, if you take even two of those games and swing them the other way, they're in a bowl. Um, they're they're a little bit higher toward the the top of the East Division of Conference USA. Uh, but I think the biggest uh, thing that you could circle on their on their roster this year was quarterback play and I, and I like Chris Robinson um he you know is a transfer from Oklahoma he's very athletic he's got a live arm but it looks like he's he's not really mentally mature yet and we saw that here in the offseason as he's been disciplined by Lane Kiffin for um undisclosed reasons and for an undisclosed uh, amount of time or sentence. But, you know, Kiffin kind of came out and said, um, when, when we feel he's ready to go back, he'll go back. So I'll be keeping a, a close pulse on, on what happens there, because I think he's certainly a talent, um, you know, even with Devin Singletary's offensive prowess on that side of the ball and Javon Durant, a wide receiver, Howard Bryant, um, they had trouble with turnovers. They were 107th in the country um, in the turnover margin. They also were very undisciplined in terms of penalties. They were 95th in most penalty yards um, given up. Um, And obviously they ranked those with the least amount of penalties at the top. So being down near the bottom at 95th and the bottom third of the, uh, of the country, that's not going to be good. Um, Defense was also a problem. They were in the bottom quarter of the, of the statistics. Um, Offense just couldn't find the end zone or or they couldn't convert on third down. Those were two areas where statistically they lacked. Um, and uh, I guess the good thing for Owl fans is that it keeps Lane Kiffin for another year because I think that he he's a yeah. good coach for that position. And, and I do think that the Owls are destined for a big comeback this year. I'm even going to say that you could expect maybe double-digit wins out of them this year. They, they open up with Ohio State, which is going to be kind of a, uh, uh, a spanking early on. But, um, you know, coming out of that, you're going to learn a lot and you're going to get – really well tested against the Buckeyes and their schedule is very, very favorable coming out of that. So they may uh, take their black eye at the beginning, 
but they very well could run the table the rest of the way. So keep an eye on the Owls in 2019. Right. And and I'm not sure if you mentioned this this stat or not, but uh, they actually finished 118th in the country in third down conversion rate. Um, yeah. So like you mentioned, those close games that they had, if you figure they could be, you know, even in the middle of the pack, they figured to potentially turn those games around. Um, and I'm with you. I think that the, it shouldn't take much for them to turn it around this year. Um, it, they do lose Devin Singletary, but I believe they return Kareth White, if I'm not mistaken. No, he left uh, for the he left for the draft as well. Did he really? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you for that. Thank you for the assist there. So I didn't go right. on about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that's that's where I if the, if White did return, they would be an even stronger team. But I think um, you know, they've got. They've got a pretty good recruiting class. I think it was ranked number one in Conference USA. I think they mm-hmm. brought in a couple of junior college transfers this year. Um, I'm sure that you know they're going to shake down some people from Last Chance U season one or two and uh, bring <laughs> some of those guys over to Boca right. Raton. So uh, yeah. they should be they should be just fine this year. Well, Chappie, that uh, takes us from our our disappointments to going to our most outstanding players. Uh, so I want to kick it off on. On offense here, I'm going to go with uh, quarterback from North Texas, Mason Fine. Um, thought about uh, Middle Tennessee State uh, quarterback Brent Stockstill, but I like Fine's overall numbers slightly better because while Stockstill bested Fine in completion percentage, passer efficiency, and touchdowns, Fine was better in just about everything else. Most importantly, Fine threw five fewer interceptions and averaged half a yard more per attempt, so he's a little more efficient than what Stockstill was. Um, Fine's overall numbers were... Um, he threw for 3,793 yards, 27 touchdowns, and only five picks. Mm-hmm. Um, he completed 64.6% of his passes and finished with a passer rating of 149.4. He threw for over 250 yards in 10 games, threw for multiple touchdowns in 10 games, and averaged 8.1 yards per attempt. Uh, I really enjoyed watching him, which is why I was really, really surprised at how um, – how, how much Utah State stifled that uh, North Texas offense in the bowl game, as I was really looking forward to a high um, point total in, in that one. But um, Mason Fine was unfortunately um, just completely stopped in, in that game. But uh, well, and, and he went down with injury early on. And so you really saw that, you know, how how important Fine was to that Texas offense. So, right. Yep. So yeah, he, he gets my nod for most outstanding uh, offensive player, Chappie. How about, uh, who did you come away with? Well, to quote the famous Arnold Schwarzenegger, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, I went with fine as well. And, you know, I was really down. I mean, like you said, great minds think alike. I almost went with stock still at first, but then I thought about, okay, it's most outstanding. If we went with most valuable, if we had an MVP, I would definitely go with Stockstill because I think that he's more value, brings more value to his offense than uh, Fine does. Because I think, not to take anything away from Mason Fine, but I think it is a system thing. And even though mm-hmm. um, his backups performed uh, grossly poor in the bowl game, that they weren't prepared for that. I think that you know. Uh, you take Mason Fine out and, and you give a guy a chance to get a few games under his feet. I think we're going to see another good quarterback uh, for North Texas once Mason Fine is, is done there in Denton. But, um, you know, with Stock still, I, I just think that there was less of a supporting cast on his offense. So I'm going to, I went with Mason Fine as well. Like you mentioned, 
very good numbers. Uh, the touchdown interception, interception ratio is what stood out to me the most. I mean, 27 to 5 is is pretty remarkable when you're putting up the ball as many times as, as North Texas is. But also, mm-hmm. their offense was in the top 37 in scoring, yards per play, and pass efficiency. So it shows that they're not only prolific, but they're also proficient, and they're good at what they do. So it's not just putting up a bunch of numbers, but you're sacrificing, you know, interceptions or you're sacrificing, um, you know, giving it up on, on third and fourth down because you don't have a run game. They actually did have a, uh, a pretty well-balanced offense. And, and like I said, fine had a cast around him, uh, but he used them mm-hmm. very well. And, and was just one of those guys that if I'm going up against Brent Stockstill or Mason fine, fine. And his numbers and his statistics, his overall ability scares me a little bit more with what he has around him than Stockstill does. So yeah, I, my nod went to, uh, to the young quarterback from North Texas as well. Okay. And, uh, you know, just some key games of note. Uh, and another reason why I put him at the top for me is his best games came against some of the best defenses in the conference. So Southern Miss, he completed 63%, 292 yards and a touchdown in a win. He beat UAB, who was the third best defense in the conference, completing 73% of his passes for 336 yards, three touchdowns, also a win. And then the fifth best defense in Conference USA, Louisiana Tech, he completed 63%, throwing for 296 yards and also three touchdowns. So it's not just that he puts up big numbers, but some of his bigger numbers came against some of his best defensive competition. Yeah. So defensively, BIP... um, I'm going to go with Jalen Ferguson, speaking of that Louisiana Tech defense. And this seems to be a little bit of a, a low-hanging fruit, kind of an obvious choice. But when, oh, you, yeah. when you're the number one sack leader in the NCAA and and I believe the record holder for most sacks in a season at 17 and a half, um, it's, it's hard to go away from this guy. And the most remarkable thing is I think there were a total of at least three sacks that were called back because of penalties that he had nothing to do with. So it was, uh, you know, a hands to the face by somebody from across the way, or it was a pass interference or something like that, or not pass interference, but uh, you get what I'm saying. So uh, a, a call away from the play, and then you look back and they have to wipe away the sack right. because of a, a lapse in judgment by a defensive teammate. So in addition to those mm-hmm. 17 and a half takedowns, he also brought 26 behind the line of scrimmage, so 26 TFLs, um, 65 total tackles, defended three passes, forced two fumbles. Um, he had five games where he recorded two sacks or more, and his best games came against uh, North Texas, the number one offense in the conference, where he had six tackles, four tackles for loss, and four sacks, and against uh, FAU, which was the second best offense, where he had three tackles for loss and a sack in that game. So again, it's not just the overall numbers, but it's the performance against some of his competition. So I went with Mr. Ferguson from La Tech. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I went with the same. Uh, can't can't really go away from him too much um, with all of the numbers that you just said. Um, seven games with at least two tackles for loss, five games with at least two sacks. And um, in in the the best win of the season for um, Louisiana Tech, Ferguson had four sacks in that game. Uh, funny that you mentioned what what the uh, the record is for most sacks in the season. I was trying to dig that up a little bit in my research and it's kind of all over the board. Yeah. Uh, Derek Thomas had 27 sacks before they started keeping track of that. I thought I remember Terrell Suggs having the record with 24, okay. but some credit Elvis Doomerville with 20. So kind of just depends on who you ask, I suppose, Chappie. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but um, still nothing to take away from Ferguson. He was unbelievable for the entire season. Um, especially in Conference USA, 
Um, so hard to go away from him. He also got my most offense, outstanding defensive nod. All right, good. Well, let's go to some guys who were a little bit off the radar. Uh, players who, when you mention them to the casual college football fan, or maybe even the casual Conference USA fan, they might say, oh, yeah, who does that guy play for again? Um, so we'll start on the offensive side of the ball, and I'm going to go with James Morgan from FIU, their quarterback. Now, this is a guy who transferred over from Bowling Green and completed 65% of his passes, had a 26-7 to 7, uh, touchdown-to-interception ratio. Those 26 touchdowns were third best in Conference USA. The seven interceptions were second fewest, um, and he was the second had the second highest efficiency rating of any quarterback in the conference. Now he was an honorable mention uh, for conference USA. So he had some statistics where he was second best in the conference, but was not voted as the second best uh, by the, the coaches or the media. So, um, you know, he kind of gets my nod. He led the, uh, the, um, FIU Panthers to an eight and four record, a bowl game in which unfortunately he was unable to play. They went with their backup in that one in the uh, Bahamas Bowl against Toledo. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Morgan did a great job in leading FIU kind of back to a successful season this year and and really gave Butch Jones um, another good campaign under his belt. So number 12, the quarterback for FIU for this one, Bip, who are you going with? Yeah, I liked him. He uh, led the conference in passing yards per attempt. And uh, like you mentioned, a a very efficient quarterback. But I went with someone who kind of had his coming out party in the bowl game uh, against Northern Illinois. I'm going to go with Xavier Ubosi. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, going into that, he was much more of a hidden commodity um, as he finished honorable mention Conference USA, but finished first in the entire country with 23.9 yards per reception. Uh, had eight touchdowns, which was sixth in the conference, but was um, uh, two through five was a four-way tie with nine touchdowns, so he just barely missed that. Um, 837 yards was ninth in the conference. He accounted for 54.3% of his team's passing yards over the entire season, so think about that. Yeah. Um, average, averaged over 18 yards per reception in eight games this year, and in that bowl game against Northern Illinois, as I mentioned, he just completely went off. Oh, yeah. Seven catches, 227 yards, three touchdowns against a very stout Northern Illinois defense, so um, as I mentioned, his coming out party was, was against, uh, the Huskies there. And, uh, at that point, I'm sure many across the country probably took notice. And if they didn't, they should, because he set up for a potentially huge, uh, 2019 season for the Blazers. Yeah. And I was, I was itching to go with him, but looking at his regular season numbers, I just, I wasn't sure if, if that took the cake for me. And because I kind of, uh, discredit bowl performances a little bit. Um, that's what, what pushed him to the side just a tad for me. But yeah, definitely a guy mm-hmm. I'm going to keep my uh, my my watchers on for this year because um, I mean I remember texting you watching that bowl game like, can you believe what this guy's doing? Like where you know right. where was this? And um, clearly. It, there wasn't enough film to to really prep for him because once he got going, there was just no stopping that guy. So, um, and you got to love a receiver who wears a single digit number. So, number seven for the Blazers, he certainly was yep. uh, blazing the trail. Uh, bad pun intended there for, <laughs> against the Huskies. So, right. Well, I'll kick it back to the uh, the defensive side of the ball there, Chappie, and I'm going to go with DQ Thomas, linebacker from Middle Tennessee. I like him already. Uh, Finishes. <laughs> It finished the season with uh, 70 total tackles, 14 and a half tackles for loss, which was good for seventh in the co- in the conference. 
eight sacks, which is good for sixth in the conference. Um, also contributed two forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, three passes defended. Against Marshall, Thomas recorded two sacks, seven to, uh, total tackles, and one fumble recovery. And in their last uh, game of the regular season, Thomas recorded two sacks, three tackles for loss, one forced fumble, and seven tackles um, in, in their win over uh, UAB. So DQ, Tom, DQ Thomas came away with me uh, for my under-the-radar defensive player. Chappie, who did you come away with? I'm going to go with the guy who's actually leaving that school, and that's Ben Holt for Western Kentucky. So um, now I always like this guy when, um, you know, the the last few years that he's been there, he just seems like a, a middle linebacker, and he's got great aggression. And why is that? Well, that's because his dad is defensive coordinator Nick Holt over at Purdue. Uh. Um, so what Ben did at Western Kentucky this year, he had 116 tackles, which was fourth best in the conference. He had 11 and a half tackles for loss, which was put him 12th in the conference, only two and a half sacks, but really you don't expect too many sack numbers from uh, linebackers, especially your inside linebacker. You're, you're not typically stunting mm-hmm. or blitzing that guy. You're keeping him in the middle to roam and clean up the garbage. Um, he did defend four, four passes and caused a fumble and also recovered a fumble this year. He had five double-digit tackle games, and his two best games came against two of the top offenses in Conference USA, and that's FAU and FIU. So both Florida schools, Mr. Holt did a good job. Now, I mentioned that he's not there anymore. That's because he decided to take a, a grad transfer over to West Lafayette, and he's going to be playing for dear old dad um, in Purdue this year, um, eligible immediately. So he won't start until the fall, so he was not involved in the spring uh, for the Boilermakers, but rest assured that, uh, you know, obviously with his dad being the defensive coordinator, um, you know that there were there were many talks and there were many um, strategy and film sessions probably talked about, even though they were at different schools. So matching them up together this year, it'll be fun to watch uh, Ben Holt play at uh, for the for the Golden Black this year. So he's my off the radar guy on defense. Yeah, that was a good get for Purdue for sure. Yeah. Uh, what about coach of the year, Bip? Um, who was the whistle? blower uh again not in a negative way but in a good way who gets your golden whistle for <laughs> being the uh the the top leader in conference usa i'm gonna go with a guy who could have gotten this um distinction each of the past three years in my opinion and that's bill clark out of uab mm-hmm. uh the blazers finished at a surprising eight and five in 2017 now they returned their starting quarterback aj um early However, he was out halfway through the season with a shoulder injury. Um, they also returned their starting running back and three of their top four receivers and also had a good amount of defense coming back from that 2017 squad. So there were decent expectations for UAB in 2018. However, Bill Clark continued to deliver as the Blazers improved upon their win total for the third straight season, winning 11 games. Started off the season 9-1 and with their only loss being an inexplicable loss to Coastal Carolina. Their other two losses were much more explainable to um, Texas A&M and to Conference USA East winner, Middle Tennessee State, uh, a win uh, or a loss that the Blazers then avenged uh, a week later in the Conference USA championship game. The The Blazers only had three wins of seven points or fewer and had a scoring margin of plus 180, which was good for 18th in the country and first in the conference. Um, better than uh, Conference USA's second highest total that was produced by uh, – um, North Texas by a decent amount. Um, the the Blazers' defense was really what carried them this year, as they were they finished tenth in the country in points per game, eleventh in yards per game, seventeenth in passing yards per game, and twentieth in rushing yards per game. So, really a stout defense. Um, 
They held their opponents to seven points or fewer six times, and that included three shutouts this season. They finished seventh in uh, team to- um, team tackles for loss in the country, fifth in sacks, second and third down conversion percentage defense. Um, so Bill Clark's got this team humming, and he should be a hot candidate for open ca- open coaching vacancies in 2020 after another successful season in 2019 should that happen again, especially if he brings home another Conference USA title. Um, so they got my nod this year. I know that they had decent expectations, but uh, the fact that Bill Clark continues to build upon this program that didn't even have a football program a few years ago is just still uh, stuns me, and um, he should be on the short list of, of very suitable candidates for a, uh, um, a step up after the 2019 mm-hmm. season. Well, I would I would suggest that you and UAB get a room, but you'd have to make room for one more because I uh, I went with Bill Clark as well. Um, now, first of all, they won eleven games, and I don't care who you are or where you're at. If you win eleven games in college football in FBS level, um, that's saying something. So, um, eleven and three, seven and one in Conference USA. Um, they, you know, Conference USA champs, they were picked to finish third this year. So even given the the upward trend that they've had the last couple of years, there were still people who thought that they were a good story, but probably not the best team in the conference. And, and once again, Coach Clark proved them wrong. So a lot of the same things that you had talked about, I was really impressed by the statistical standings of where they were at, uh, both on offense and defense. So 34th best rush offense. Um, they, they only gave up, uh, you know, minimal sacks allowed. So this was a, a group that protected the ball on offense. They put the ball in the end zone when they needed to. And defensively, they, they kept, um, opposing offenses out of harm's way and, and really let, um, their team control and, fl- uh, dictate the flow of the game. So, uh, you mentioned those three losses, all three of them were on the road and, you know, the mark of a good team is you can win both at home and on the road. But again, 11 wins and your three losses all came away from home. You took care of your business in your own backyard. And I mean, those, those away games were no slouches, middle Tennessee, Texas, A&M coastal Carolina. I kind of put a, a an asterisk next to, but um, you know, they were three and zero in close yeah. games, which is always the mark of a team that is well coached and they, and they play well. So yeah, I too give my golden whistle to bill Clark for UAB job. Well done, Mr. Clark. Yes, sir. Um, okay. Well, that takes us now to some of our top games. Um, and, you know, we, we've got a couple here. Bip, do you want to start us off with maybe one that uh, that was entertaining to you? Sure. I'll start with uh, Marshall at Florida International. Now, this was a game that going into it, Florida International controlled their destiny at home, needing to win to secure their spot in the Conference USA Championship game. The Thunder and Herd, though, had other thoughts as they jumped out to a 14-0 lead over the Panthers. Um, Florida International closed the gap to four points in the first half, um, but uh, the second quarter or the, the second half was where a lot of the fireworks happened. Marshall threw an interception on the first play of the second half, but FIU couldn't capitalize as they missed on a 43-yard field goal attempt. The two teams traded interceptions, and that led up to a blocked punt being returned for a touchdown by Marshall. Uh, FIU responded immediately, driving 71 yards for a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Marshall shoots back uh, with their own 59-yard touchdown drive um, uh, for the Panther. Yeah, and um, which then resulted for the Panthers to score on their next drive. Sorry about my stumbling on words there. Um, With just under five minutes left in the game, Marshall gets the ball back with a three-point lead. They then drain the entire clock. 
uh, with a 10-play, 65-yard drive to throw a wrench into FIU's championship plans as a clock uh, touched zeros as Marshall held on to the ball. So uh, the fact that there was so much uh, playing on that game for FIU, uh, this was really an, an entertaining game, especially in that fourth quarter when the teams kept uh, exchanging scores, and then that drive that Marshall had to uh, cement the game was was really one of the better drives uh, in the fourth quarter of the entire season for yeah, USA. Um, yeah, that was entertaining. I'm... The most entertaining uh, one, or one of the most entertaining for me, I'm going to go with the one that was talked about really for uh, weeks after it happened, and that's the Old Dominion Western Kentucky game, which ended with the Monarchs winning 37-34. Now, um, if I had told you, Bip, that there was a touchdown and three field goal attempts in the final nine seconds, would you believe me at the time? Okay, yeah, you would probably wonder uh, how sure many whiskeys <laughs> had hit the the bottom. So. Um, Here's what transpired. Nine right. seconds left. Blake LaRusa, quarterback for Old Dominion, hits Travis Fulgham for a six-yard touchdown, like I said, with just nine seconds left. So a squib kick put Western Kentucky at the 50-yard line. A Hail Mary attempt was no good, but Old Dominion was called for roughing the passer, which related or which uh, translated into an untimed down. Western Kentucky then attempted a 57-yard field goal, which they missed, but Old Dominion was called again for another penalty with 12 men on the field, which meant another untimed down. Western Kentucky then attempted a 52-yard field goal because it was a five-yard penalty. It came up short, and Old Dominion returned at 83 yards but were t- what was tackled, and Western Kentucky was called for a face mask. Now, granted, um, this is when um, the game was tied at 34. So... The face mask on the Hilltoppers led to an untimed down from the nine-yard line, so Old Dominion had a chip-shot field goal. The kick was good, and the Monarchs won by three points, again, after a touchdown and three field goal attempts in the final nine seconds of the contest. Yeah, and I remember that one specifically, Chappie, because, as you know, in our our little uh, football pool, Old Dominion got, uh, (laughs) I was stuck with them. So I remember uh, not watching that game, uh, but seeing the highlights of it when uh, my phone was blowing up at, you know, the many media sources that were saying, did you see that? ending uh between old dominion and western kentucky and i'm like what the heck must have happened for this game to get so much national publicity and i couldn't believe the the series of events that that unfolded it's it's almost as if it were in um something like necessary roughness or some other comedy football movie when you see how many different penalties and follies ensued right. in that uh, final nine seconds yeah i can just hear the benny hill music yeah entertaining nonetheless and it certainly gave sports center um you know quite a quite a rise that night so that's right well i'll go with um the conference usa uh championship game chappie is my next one um pitted uh uab against middle tennessee which we've already mentioned a couple times was the week following uh that same matchup the uh week before in their last uh regular season game for each so in this one middle tennessee led after the first quarter 13 to 3 uab would then go on a 21 nothing run in the second Mm -hmm. quarter middle tennessee then continued to chip away little by little and took the lead in the fourth quarter 25 to 24 uab then responded with a field goal with just over three minutes left in the game thanks in large part to a 30-yard run by spencer brown on first down of the drive and um this game capped a, an 
eight and one conference record for the Blazers and route to their conference championship. Um, as the uh, Blazers held on to to win this one in this game, Brent Stock still put up 362 yards and two touchdowns in the losing effort, but was overmatched by uh, the opposing side. Spencer Brown, as I mentioned, powered the Blazers through with 156 yards rushing and one touchdown for that conference championship win. Yeah, and you know when we talk about our off the radar players, as we mentioned with some of the other Group of Five conferences, there's a lot of these guys who are off the radar nationally, and Spencer Brown, I think, is one of the biggest ones. Um, maybe one of the best backs that you've never heard of as we go into 2019. Um, he was a first team all CUSA, uh, player this year, but, uh, man, that guy could run the rock and, and he's hard to bring down and, and certainly was the bell cow for that UAB offense. Yeah, for sure. Well, my last game that we're going to touch on here is the Louisiana tech North Texas game where the, um, the Bulldogs won by two points over the, uh, Eagles and, much to my dismay because I had North Texas in our college football pool. And this was one of the losses that shouldn't have been. So North Texas went yep. up 21 to six, but then law tech bulldog their way back to take a 29, 21 lead in the third quarter. UNT then scored um, to pull within two, but missed the two point conversion. Now that came back to haunt them uh, later on. So later in the fourth, Garrett Hedlund, who was an all-conference USA place kicker for North Texas, hit the upright, and in the final minute, a 46-yarder was then blocked by Louisiana Tech's Amik Robertson. So um, Louisiana Tech, like we said, held on for the victory, and that prolific North Texas offense couldn't pull through and couldn't find the end zone and, and certainly couldn't find their way through the uprights in the last quarter of play, which was a little bit concerning for uh, Seth Luttrell and his, his Eagle team, but um, you know, big win for, for law tech and, and certainly an entertaining matchup out there uh, for that one. Yeah. And this was the game where uh, our defensive most outstanding player, Jalen Ferguson recorded four sacks right. in the game, definitely helping the Bulldogs in that yep. one. So those are our top games. So BIP, Conference USA, let's talk about where we rank them out of um, 10 or 11, uh, if you want to include the independents, and why you put them there. Uh, not including the independents, um, I would rank them 10th out of 10th. Um, they had the second lowest winning percentage out of any conference in 2018 with 472, just edging out the MAC. They were 4-2 and two in bowl games, including um, a 2-0 uh mark against the Mac. Uh, however, they finished with zero ranked teams. They had the lowest SRS rating from sportsreference.com, which takes into account uh, point differential and strength of schedule. They had seven teams with losing records. And I think the top of conference, um, or I think the top of the conference is kind of even with the Mac, but I think with the two additional teams in Conference USA allows for them to have more bad teams overall than the Mac. So because of that, I slot Conference USA as the worst conference in the country, um, just barely as, as uh, the Mac was not much to speak of this year uh, as well. But they get uh, 10 out of 10 for me, Chappie. How about you? Yeah, I put them... Um... I put them ten out of uh, ten out of eleven because I do include the independents. I put the independents at nine, but um, so if we're going out of ten, I'm going to put them nine out of ten, just above the Sun Belt. And and here's a reason why: um, even though they had the the lowest win percentage in um, in FBS, uh, they were only I I only put them higher than the Sun Belt because they played a better strength of schedule, but not by much. So when you look overall mm -hmm. at the the body of work between Conference USA teams and Sun Belt teams. 
the strength of schedule was slightly better for for this conference, but also as I always like to look at the top half of each conference when I'm matching them up and trying to compare apples to apples and. Um, I think that the top half of Conference USA matches up better than the top half of the Sun Belt. Now, granted, you've got Appalachian sure. State, um, and and you've got Troy in the Sun Belt, and you can make an argument for Georgia Southern, um, but really that's about it. Because you know when we get to the Sun Belt in our next podcast as one of our as our last um, conference review from 2018. Uh, there was there was some weakness on one half of that uh, on, on the western side of the Sun Belt, and you know when you look at right. Conference USA, I think that there's a, a good argument for two or three uh, pretty competitive teams on both the East and the West in Conference USA. So that's where I'm going to go with with them. And, and, and again, if you look at the at the conference champ, I think UAB matches up pretty well against um, Appalachian State, and um, and I would even roll the dice and, and put my money on the Blazers beating um, the, the Mountaineers in a pseudo championship like that. Sure. So which teams do you think are likely to move on or move over in the next five years? If you were to look at conference USA BIP and probably more so teams maybe moving out than moving on. Do you have anybody that stands out to you? Well, I would say that uh, if, if FAU can somehow hang on to Lane Kiffin, I think that that's a team that their geographic location, and, and I guess FIU you can throw in there as well. I think that those Florida schools are always a threat to um, have potential sustain, sustained success uh, just due to the fact of where they're recruiting in their backyard. Um, Marshall uh, also, I thought uh, – and North Texas, I lumped in with Marshall as kind of the teams that have had past success as well. Um, and North Texas kind of going along the same lines with those Florida teams of where they where they're located um, and and where they recruit. I could see that those teams. I, I couldn't come up with necessarily a, a great location um, for the Florida schools necessarily, but I could definitely see North Texas and Marshall maybe joining the Big Twelve. Um, hmm. in a long shot, yeah. um, depending on whether the big 12 would swing and miss on any other potential schools, but you also obviously have Marshall, um, and West Virginia being in the same conference right. and then North Texas joining all the other, um, South, uh, Southern schools that are currently in the big 12. So I think if they join anywhere, I think that, uh, that's where those two would, would, would join as I don't necessarily see any other conference being, uh, um, more than a lateral movement um, when you take into consideration the geographic location for those schools as well. Yeah, I, I had really some of those same schools. So I at the top of my list are Marshall and FAU, possibly moving to the American, especially if any of those Texas teams in the American Conference leave to join the Big 12. Talking about teams like um, Houston and SMU, I think that sure. it would be a, an easy slot in, especially like you said, if, if Lane Kiffin stays, if he says, you know what, I'm going to dig in my heels and I'm going to be here long term, at uh in in Boca Raton I think that Marshall um you know they're ever since they've joined division one football they've really been uh, a player every year there's very few and far between bad Marshall teams Uh, they've got pretty good resources they've got a really rabid fan base out there in Huntington um yeah they kind of remind me of like the uh the Ohio Bobcats of Conference USA to where you're you're not necessarily going to think of them as an elite team any year necessarily but you can set your watch to them having an eight or nine win season just about every season right and uh, I I also threw Louisiana Tech in there because I look at their their athletic program as a whole they 
they've got a pretty good overall athletic program. I know that women's yeah. basketball is big. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I, I want to say that uh, you know some of the other non-revenue sports they're um, they're they're pretty competitive in. So that's a school that you know it's got it's 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 right in the in a fertile recruiting uh, grounds. So you know that could be a school that can move make a. Uh, a lateral slight uh, upward lateral movement to uh, the American conference. If, if they're open to it, especially if the American conference gets picked uh, by some of those bigger uh, power five conferences. So those are really the only teams that I see maybe moving on or over, but I don't see it anytime soon. Let's just hope that if they are given the opportunity to Louisiana tech, given the opportunity to pitch, to go to um, maybe a quote unquote, better conference that uh, alumni, Terry Bradshaw and Carl Malone are not given the opportunity to do that for them as uh, boy, that's a, that's a conversation I'd like to hear um, just as, as an amusement. But if I'm that university, I'm saying, ah, let's, uh, let's maybe shy away from those two. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I would want free reign to leave that conversation at any point. <laughs> um, so some conference USA thoughts to snack on. So, For me, offensively, this was a really bad conference offensively. They had an average ranking. So if you took the the offensive ranking for all the schools – they were they had an average ranking for their schools of 96th out of 130. So by comparison, the next two lowest uh, conferences were the MAC, which would have an average of an 82nd ranking, um, and the Sun Belt after them at 78. So again, we're looking at um, Bill Connolly's SBC rankings, the S&P Plus, and then the FEI rankings. So looking at their offensive. Uh, you know, output numbers and, and how they ranked up in the power rankings, they were 96 out of 130. And and I'm looking at my stats across the board here. There was just a lot of poor, poor uh, outputs from, from Conference USA, USA offenses. Um, on the other hand, Southern Miss and UAB had uh, some of the top defenses in the country. So not just in the conference, but in the country, um, they were in the top 20 in many defensive categories. Um, they had some good quarterback play. I, I really liked what I saw from Mason Fine of North Texas, Blake LaRusso from Old Dominion, who unfortunately won't be there anymore. Justice Hansen, who is at Arkansas State, who was an, uh, who was also a an Oklahoma transfer, along with Chris Robinson from Florida Atlantic. Um, and then Jack Abraham from Southern Miss. So these guys all had, um, you know, pretty impressive numbers. And and that's uh, not even including Brent Stock still. Um, all all of these guys that I just mentioned, Fine, LaRusa, Hanson, Abraham, and Stock still were in the top 25 in passing yards per game in the country. So that's pretty incredible considering that, um, you know, you've got a, uh, a fifth of all of those top 25 passers coming from your conference. Um, and then they sent six teams out of 14 to bowl games this year and finished with the highest win percentage of any teams in the bowls. And uh, I know that I don't put a lot of stock in bowl games, but it's still nice for your conference to go out there and, and own the top winning percentage of, of any conference in college football. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you on that. That's kind of the takeaway that I had from, from dissecting this conference as well. Great defenses, much better than I anticipated. Um, and like you mentioned, much worse offenses than I was anticipating yeah. as well. Outside of the quarterback play, um, just a lot of uh, a lot of very stagnant offenses. But also, they have some coaches that uh, might be on the um, 
the up and up after the 2019 season. When you look at uh, Bill Clark out of UAB, Seth Luttrell out of North Texas, and Lane Kiffin out of Florida Atlantic, three guys that could be on the uh, short list of um, some semi-prestigious universities should their teams continue their success that they've had of recent history. Yeah, and actually it surprised a lot of people that both Clark and Latrell did not get snatched up by anybody or did not, um, you know, go out and test more. They they kind of right. had said um, right in around bowl time that, um, you know, things didn't seem good enough to make any move and, and they were happy at where they're at. But um, if you're a, a North Texas fan or a UAB fan, um, you know, soak in this year because it's probably not going to be with the same guy in charge in 2020. Absolutely. So uh, does that do it for you on, on Conference USA, Bip? That's all I got, Chappie. All right, man. Well, um, we appreciate you guys listening. So where can you find us? Well, aside from where you're listening, we're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Radio Public. And now, just as of this week, we are now on Podbean. So like the Jeffersons, we're moving on up, my man. <laughs> to the east side <laughs> uh i'm gonna stay away from the deluxe apartment in the sky i'm, I'm pretty comfortable where i'm at but <laughs> yeah yeah me too <laughs> well fans we'd love to lionel richie this thing and do it all night long but we love our families and so instead we're gonna dr dre and wrap this the season starts in less than five months but there's still a lot of education we have to offer you that's right bfc is year-round schooling with little or no breaks so we advise you to stay tuned, and the best way to do that is to subscribe and let the newest podcast upload right to your device. Let the electronics do the work for you. And in the event you may have to wait for the next batch, check out our previous episodes you may have missed or you want to revisit as you're doing your off-season research. Most importantly, spread the word, tell your friends, family, and faculty about us, and continue to make a bowl full of chips the best-growing college football podcast out there. Remember, you can also interact with us on Twitter. Be as complimentary or critical as you wish. Bring it on. Thanks for tuning in to A Bowl Full of Chips, the podcast for all conferences in the USA. I am Chappie. And I am Bip. And we'll be back next time to set you straight, whether it's early or late. So for TC and DC, this is it for BFC on CUSA. See ya. See ya.